Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast as we're going to chat the second round of the Australian Open and look ahead to the third. It's been an exciting first few exchanges of the tournament. I'm Marcus Alley and joining me as always is Michael Gillett. Yeah, really enjoying the tennis at the moment. Um, been getting up early in the morning to watch matches, but it certainly hasn't failed to deliver. So let's get started and there's been plenty of eye-catching matches to get to and to discuss it. This, it really has been an exciting start to the tournament. Um, in my opinion, none more exciting than Nick Kyrgios's triumphant comeback win against Ugo and Bear yesterday. Um, he's set, set up a third round tie with Dominic Team as a result. We'll get onto that one later. But firstly, let's just talk about this match against the precocious young Frenchman. Um, Kyrgios eventually being victorious 5-7-6-4-3-6-7-6-6-4. Uh, I believe he saved, saved match points um, just to get that fourth set to a tie break. And um, yeah, went on to win the fifth set 6-4 in dramatic fashion. With a with an incredible home support behind him, um, it, it was clearly quite uh, emotional um, in in his in his post match media duties. It was it was very interesting interesting to watch and uh, uh, just just hear what what his thoughts were. He's very complimentary about Ugo and Bear, and um, yeah, just uh, looking into the, the the match coming up against Dominic Team. But to start with the match on the court. And yeah, it's got to be the highlight of the tournament so far. I know you watched it, Michael. Yeah, I watched all of this match. Uh, I thought it was um, a brilliant match. Um, although Kyrgios played brilliantly and turned it around so well, saving two match points uh, in that fourth set. Uh, and Bear is really going to be feeling like this one got away from him. Um, you know, I think he was... Uh, obviously a breakup in that fourth one Kyrgios was able to save those match points and break back in that game um, then he won that tie break very convincingly and Bear wasn't really in it at all uh, Kyrgios got the break very early in that fifth set so it's almost like a sort of 15 minute period where Bear just kind of fell apart a little bit um, and I think one thing that was really interesting that Kyrgios said in his post-match thing was that he reckoned that um, his experience helped. I can't remember if this was his on-call interview or his press conference, but he said um, that he thought it was his experience over in Bears that, um, that helped him over the line. And I think that's interesting because I never really think about Nick Kyrgios as being the most experienced of players. You know, he still feels like certainly in my mind it still feels like he's quite a, a fresh young player um but obviously he's been around a long time now as he broke onto the scene at 17 years old when he beat Nadal you know but th that's the thing that he's saying in his press conferences that he's starting to feel like a veteran um and and that experience is hopefully helping him uh a fantastic end to 2020. Um, a bit of a stuttered start to this year so far with the um, the loss uh, last week to James Duckworth and uh, making uh, a bit of a hard go of it in the first round against Uchiyama. Um, but no, it was a fantastic match. The way that Kyrgios fought back in this was sensational. Um the crowd definitely helped him go get over the line. And um, I think his first match against Ferreira Silva, uh, he, he didn't quite look at his best. And, and he definitely didn't look at his best through times of this match. But uh, there were definitely periods in this match where he looked very, very good. And I think if he can find more of those moments in the next round, and as you say, we'll go on and talk about this a bit later on. But... Um, I think he could be a real banana skin for, for Dominic team. I com completely agree. Yeah, I think when Kyrgios alluded to being being an experienced player, he's just 25, so he's still got plenty of years you'd hope left in his career. But I think in those high-pressure scenarios, he definitely is more experienced than 
a typical player of his age and his ranking, particularly at the Australian Open. He's got to got to got to the second week um, on on numerous occasions now, and uh, yeah, in those in those tight moments, he definitely does. Well, he did have an edge, and um, yeah, the experience must have helped him there. I think the pressure that he tends to put on himself might have also contributed towards that. He spoke about how he was very nervous, um, just about what people would write about him and how they would sort of dub the Australian players as as, as a failure if he couldn't get through that match and, and and would go on to lose in in the second round. Obviously, Umber, um Kyrgios mentioned this in, in his post-match uh, thoughts as well, that he thought that Umber's lack of experience against um, a home crowd fully ag- against him um, was, was something that made it a lot tougher for the Frenchman. And I can kind of see where he's coming from. And Bear obviously is that in that sort of bracket beneath Kyrgios. He's, he's over 21. He's not a player that's eligible for next gen anymore, but he is in that up and coming phase and a player that we've spoken about that we expect probably to break into the top 15 or at least compete for it this year. Um, so he was full of praise for him, Bear, but no. Um, a really, really good match. And yeah, we're both thoroughly looking forward to Kyrgios versus team in the next round. To move on to the second match that I've liked to, to talk about on this one, it's sort of surrounded in, um, well, the headlines have been hit for what happened in the aftermath of this match, which was a very passionate sort of argument between Fabio Fonini and Salvatore Caruso, um, a player that's way outside the top 50. I think he's in the 70s or 80s in the rankings, Caruso. Obviously, Fonini a player that's been in and around the top 10 for quite a long time now. But he had to work for this result. Um, Fonini eventually getting through 4-6-6-2-2-6-6-3-7-6. And he had to save one match point from Caruso in that match deciding tie break. Um, obviously, let's try and talk about the tennis despite the, the row that happened after the match. Um, you spoke about a little bit of maybe gamesmanship from Fonini taking his time on the, on, on the big points in, in that deciding tie break but you know it's, there's always, always a lot of flair when you see an, an Italian player on the court and maybe that uh, overflowed a little bit at the end but a good match all the same and um, definitely one that Caruso can take confidence from when he looks back on it you'd hope. Yeah this was one um, I only saw the end of with it being on quite early this morning um, but the 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 final set tie break, uh, obviously a tie break to 10, uh, was phenomenal. I think it was 14-12 in the end. They both had match points uh, saved. I think Fognini won it on possibly his fourth or fifth uh, match point. So, um, you know, it, it, it was really, really uh, exciting. And when you have compatriots playing each other and unfortunately it did spill over a little bit, um, it, you know, the argument was in Italian at the end, but uh, George Belshaw tweeted a um, a translation, just sort of flicking through it now, I think um, the, the general sort of thing was Fonini was calling Caruso a bit lucky during the match, which I find a bit peculiar considering Fonini was the one who won it. But um, I think... Um, um, yeah, there's, yeah, there definitely was a bit of gamesmanship in there. Um, Fanini was taking his time, um, you know, w- was doing a lot of talking as well to the umpire. There were quite a few line calls um, that he wasn't happy with, with the automated Hawkeye, and he was arguing them. And I think perhaps it was all just a little bit loiter. unnerved Caruso and unsettle him with Caruso being a bit less experienced on this stage. Um, it would have been his first ever third round performance, uh, uh, third round appearance at the Australian if he got there. Obviously, he'll have to wait for another chance to do that now. But um, yeah, th- this was a fantastic match. And um, I'm really pleased that I tuned in to the end of this uh, when I woke up this morning because um, it, it was a really, really good one. I think... Though we don't like to see aggro on court between players, I think sometimes it, it can be fun to watch in tennis. I think, you know, we, we get a lot of aggro in a lot of other sports. And though we don't really want tennis to be associated with it as much as other sports, I think it does 
it's always good to, to add a bit of spice into the sport, I think. And you get that with players like Nick Kyrgios. Um, and I think it was, you know, it, it was a bit different to see. Obviously, we hope the two of them are OK and they can go on and sort things out, which I'm sure they will, being compatriots. But, um, yeah, I, I, I don't entirely see a bit of aggro after a match as, as a bad thing. No, when the tempers uh, spill over a little bit, at least it shows that they care. Um, at least it shows that how much it means to them. And um, yeah, sadly, this one went a little bit too far. And obviously, yeah, Caruso gutted to to go out in such have with such narrow margins in that match. Uh, just the third second round match that we're going to talk about. This one, a bit of an interesting one. So you got um, Stefanos Sitsipas beating Tanasi Kokinakis, the twenty four year old Australian player who's had his troubles with injury quite a lot um, in, in, in a, well, what is a, is, is a short career to this date. Um, obviously, so you've got, you've got the Greek winning this match in five sets, which was unexpected him to get pushed this far. He won it 6-7, 6 6 has beaten exciting young player in Kwon Soon Woo in the first round. So it's a decent tournament from him, his, his, his home grand slam, and you'd be hoping that he can take, take some belief and, and, and some form from this tournament into into the year, a player that has looked like he could be a regular top 100 player in, in, in flashes in, in his career, but not really managed to build a proper stretch of performances. Just one caveat on taking Sitsipas to five sets, he did never break the Greek in the whole match. So Sitsipas held serve every single time, but both the sets that Kokonakis won were on the tie break. Um, so maybe that would suggest that Sitsipas has been has played a little bit better than the scoreline would suggest. I don't know. It depends what way you look at it. Um, but the Greek faces Mikhail Mayer in the third round. An in- the interesting young Swedish player who's beaten Ubet Herkash and exciting youngster Carlos Alcaraz in-, in his two matches. So that could be an interesting matchup. But yeah, sits a pass. All's well that ends well. He's in the third round, but he had to work hard for this one. Yeah, I didn't know that stat about uh, Tsitsipas not being broken once at all in the match. I think that will, though he's been pushed hard, that will be a, a good thing to take for, for him from this match, to go five sets and not be broken. Uh, at all is, is a very impressive stat, in my opinion. Um, I was very surprised to see Kokinakis push Tsitsipas uh, this far. Um He's a very exciting player, Kokonakis. I remember him beating Roger Federer just, just two years ago, actually, at the Miami Masters. Just had a quick check because I wasn't sure if it was Djokovic or Federer. But, uh, yeah, Kokonakis holds a, a winning record against Federer, uh, defeating him at the Miami Masters. As you say, he's certainly a, a big talent uh, and, and a lot of potential. And someone Nick Kyrgios has been speaking about in his press uh, and his post-match interviews because... He was just been saying that he's very pleased to see uh, his friend playing brilliant tennis again and, and recovering from injury. And I think this is a real indicator that potentially, you know, if he can get his head back into gear, I think he's had a couple of um, off-court issues as well. Um, I think if if he can sort of just get his head into gear and 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 uh, get some consistency back, uh, well, I don't know about back. I'm not sure if he ever had it, but um. You know, he's only 24, and I think this is a, a brilliant indicator. Uh, for Sitsipas, you know, he, he he will be a bit blown out after that match. And was it um, Imer that you said Sitsipas was playing in the next round? Yeah, so that's going to be um, a tough run for Sitsipas, but it's still one you'd expect him to get through uh, relatively comfortably, I'd say. Um, I know you, you rate Imer, um, and, you know, he certainly had a couple of good wins. Uh, Beating her Kashkin Alcaraz, uh, Alcaraz, sorry. Um, you know that there, there, there is a lot of a lot of hope for him there, but um, yeah, I think I think we'll see Sitsipas get through that match. Yeah, he comes in a strong favourite, um, but yeah, the, an entertainer is Michael Libert. He's a bit, he's a bit of that Gail Monfils, Dustin Brown sort of languid style, very very athletic. Um, so yeah, that definitely could be 
very aesthetically pleasing matchup, even if Sitsipas does get through it comfortably. And the fourth match we're just going to look back on from the second round is it's time to pay tribute to an awesome comeback from 39-year-old, the second oldest player in the top 100 in Feliciano Lopez. What great entertainment he's provided us over the years. And he beat the Italian player Lorenzo Sonego, who of course beat Novak Djokovic. Um, towards the back end of 2020. He won this one 5-7-3-6 and then winning three sets on the bounce to get the win, 6-3-7-5-6-4. And he's gone on to set up a third round tie against Andre Rublev, which could be interesting if Lopez can roll back the years like he's clearly done um, towards the back end of this match. Um, not a player that I don't think we're expecting much from this year. Um, if he If he can maintain a top 100 ranking for this year or even next year then I think that'll be a great achievement and um, yeah the fitness that this must this player must go through and all the regimes and and keeping his body in shape and the, the dedication the pure dedication that it takes to be still smashing it on the ATP tour reaching the last 32 of a grand slam at the age of 39 for a player like Lopez is, is simply outstanding and yeah, I for one am I'm here for it for him carrying on playing as long as he can. Um maybe you'd like to take that crown to be the oldest player on tour. Federer is the only player older than him in the top one hundred. So yeah, once again Feliciano Lopez brings his A game at a grand slam. We know he's he he shows it in drips and drabs over the course of the year, but at the age of thirty nine he's got to pick his tournaments and it's an excellent win against Sonego. I'm just going to give you a bit of trivia, Marcus. I don't know if you've heard this stat. How many Grand Slams has Lopez played in a row? Oh, that's a good one. I think I've heard this sort of... This stat amazes me. Every time. So, uh, so there's four a year. Let's say he missed one in his mid-20s. So, I'll go for... What's 13 times four? 52. 75. Wow. He's played since the French Open 2002. He's been at every single Grand Slam, um, which is just incredible. Um, never made a semi-final, which also surprises me, actually. I felt like Lopez might have made a semi-final somewhere along the line, but um, made made a handful of quarterfinals, but never a semi. Um, yeah, this is... Um, a fantastic win for Lopez. I'm a bit flabbergasted uh, by the fact that he's done it, to be honest. Um, I think Sonego's a very tough player. We saw him absolutely wallop Djokovic at the end of last year, um, albeit a bit of a smaller tournament. Um, and, I, yeah, I'm a little bit surprised Lopez has pulled it back. I didn't see this match, so I don't know how much Sonego is to blame for this. But... Um, you know, so much admiration for, for Feliciano Lopez. I mean, he's he, he is a miracle worker. I remember um, that week. It would have been uh, would have been twenty nineteen, the summer of twenty nineteen. He ended up winning the singles of Queens and also the doubles of Queens with alongside Andy Murray. And I, he ended up playing um, a stupid amount of matches in a short amount of time. I can't remember if there'd been rain and they had to push all the matches close together, but it was truly remarkable how he'd done it. Um, I can't give him too much hope against Andre Rublev. Um, Rublev has looked very, very good so far uh, this tournament without dropping a set, um, albeit against two opponents you would expect him to get through against in straight sets. But um, yeah, you, you can't take anything away from Feliciano Lopez, nearly 40 years old. Um, let me just have a quick check on when he will turn 40 he'll turn 40 in September this year so um, you know if, if he plays at the US Open this year um, he he will be turning 40 during that tournament um, and, and that would be you know a fantastic story if he could still be playing uh, at 40 years old and I'm sure he will be you know it doesn't look like he's going away anytime soon um, just, just fantastic for him Yeah, that's a nice. Uh, that's our Ode Feliciano Lopez finished for this week's episode. I'm sure there'll be many more to come as the year progresses. Uh, so just the last second round tie that we're, we're going to reflect on. 
And sadly, it's a disappointing loss for Stanislas Vavrenka, it has to be said. Uh, he's lost to the Hungarian player Marton Fucevic. Uh, Fucevic wins this one, 7-5-6-1, 4-6-2-6-7-6 6, on a match deciding tiebreak into which he saved three match points in. I have to say, after getting it back to a deciding set and winning that fourth set 6-2, Stan would have gone in very confident in that decider. Obviously, I'm not sure how he was feeling physically, but going into that deciding set with the game and the weapons that the Swiss player has got, you would expect him to to make it through in that match. So it's a shame. Um, it's two five-set wins on the bounce for Fucevic. He beat Mark Pullman's, the young Australian, in the first round to go in the distance as well. Um, do we have to sort of reassess our expectations for Stanislas Vavrenka this year after this loss? I think we're expecting him to try and manage his body so that he's in the best shape and, and, and the best form for the Grand Slams. Obviously, a former champion at the Australian Open. Um, but yeah, it's quite a disappointing one. Fucevic has, you know, he's got some wins, some some decent wins in his career. He's a, he's an ATP Tour title winner. He's a decent player, but he's not someone that I expected a fully fit Stan Vavrenka to be challenged by. Um, I, yeah, I, I agree, but I, I do think Fucevic, you know, I, I think he's always had a lot of talent, especially on a hard court. I think his ranking is or his highest ranking is probably below where it should be I think I've, I've seen him play a few times and thought that he, he probably should be aiming a little bit higher um as to where he's got but uh I, you know I, I agree in the sense that it'll be very disappointing for Ravrinka especially to claw those two sets back um and still not get anything um back for it but um yeah I think it's hard to know with Ravrinka where he's going to go. He's always been a very unpredictable player. You know, I think what we have to remember is that whilst uh, whilst he has been a lot better than he's playing at the moment, he's never actually been at that point where you expect him to come through and win tournaments. He's only ever won tournaments from being an underdog and not being fancied to win them. I can't really think of a tournament where he's gone in favourite for it and he's won it. So um, I, I think if he can just kind of keep fit, keep training, pick the tournaments wisely, then I, I, still, I don't see why I can't, we can't see him having a really good run at another slam. Um, I, I haven't got his age to hand, but I'm, I'm assuming he's um, 33, 34 now. Um give or take a year or two. So I think, um, you know, he he's definitely nearing the end. But um, uh, I don't think, I don't think we need to reassess anything about Ravrinka. I think he could definitely, definitely still provide a threat in, in the later rounds of, of big tournaments. And I think Fusevix, uh, as I say, is a, is a very talented player. Um, just, Quickly looking now, he's got um Mios Reinich in the next round. I think that's a match that uh, though Reinich will be favourite for it. I, I I definitely could see Fusevic winning that as well. Um, Reinich has had a tough match in the second round against Quarantine Mute. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I certainly wouldn't write Martin Fusevic off of making the fourth round. Fair play, yeah, an interesting player. Um. I, th- I believe he got into the top 30. I think that's where his current rank, uh, is, his, his career high, sorry, uh, is is for Fucevic. So a player that has the talent, but um, yeah, that re- Milos Raonic match could be an interesting one. Um, I think Raonic's not a player that we've seen been able to stay fit consistently over the last few years. Um, so it'll be an interesting sort of measure to see how he does against Fucevic to see what kind of form he's in. Um obviously looking looking to make that second week of the tournament. Um, just going to backtrack a little bit to the first round, to the final match that we're going to reflect on, to which was ongoing when we were recording our last episode. And this was a match where Denis Shapovalov went on to knock out Yannick Sinner in the very first round. Um, he won this one 3-6-6-3-6-2-4-6-6-4. So there have been a fair few five-set epics already in the Australian Open. Obviously, Sinner had... Uh, had won one of the Melbourne tournaments last week, so was playing right up until the start of, of this Grand Slam. You feel like that might have 
played a little bit into Shapovalov's hands, who was playing in in ATP Cup, but I don't think maybe that that tournament was as exerting as as the ones that that Sinner was involved in. Um, so a great win for Shapovalov. He went on to beat Bernard Tomic in the second round to set up a third round tie of his countryman Felix Auger Aliassime. But on that first round match, and uh, Yannick Sinner going out, obviously a bit disappointing after we saw him do so well at the French Open. But you have to say he's allowed, and uh, Shapovalov is, is a good enough player to to justify, you know, us not taking any anything away from Yannick Sinner and not um not not changing our expectations or or hopes for him this year. Yeah, I'm certainly not worried about this result. We saw him um, obviously with that day suspension in Melbourne last week. Um, we saw all the finalists of those tournaments had to play. Uh, four matches in three days ahead of the tournament. And then Sinner, uh, very unfortunately for him, uh, was put on the, the next day. So that was five matches in four days for him. Uh, but of those four finalists, uh, three of them went out in the first round, uh, all very good players and uh, just had nothing left in the tank, really. Felix Auger-Aliassime seem obviously still in it and he's been able to have a couple of rest days now ahead of that match with Shapovalov. So um, could give him a bit more hope. But yeah, certainly not worried about Sinner. Um, he still put up a brilliant fight considering uh, he had been really pushed over the last few days. I thought he played some fantastic uh, tennis during that match. Um Shapovalov was brilliant, actually. I think, um, you know, I, I was I was sitting in a uni lecture uh, after we did our pod uh, with Shapovalov Sinner in the background. And uh, my, my housemate, who's not really a tennis fan at all, um, we, even he was commenting on, on how well Shapovalov was playing because I think sometimes players can hit such beautiful winners and beautiful shots that even, even if you don't really... Uh, follow tennis you you can really um, you can still respect uh how exquisite some some shot making is and Shapovalov considering he was a man that was coming off the back of I think it was five or six straight losses ahead of that match um he he was phenomenal and, and a comfortable win against Tomek I, I make him uh, a good favorite to beat uh Aliassime, seem to be honest um but it's um it's going to be a close match, and it's one that I, de- I definitely like to watch. As you were just talking there, Cameron Norrie has beaten the Russian player Safiulin and sets up a third round tie with Rafael Nadal. So that's going to be very interesting. Just before we preview some of the third round ties, I'd just like to shout out one more player. Uh, that's Alexei Popirin, who beat David Goffin in the first round. A little pat, pat on the back for us as we both. Uh, predicted that in the last episode and then um, obviously well he went on to lose to to an exciting player in Lloyd Harris in in another five setter today so he's 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 out of the tournament but Alexei Popirin a young Australian player who's shown promise in the last few years but hasn't quite broke into the top 100 so hopefully he's a player that we can see do that this year. Um, so just moving on then, and we're gonna we're gonna preview some of the third round ties, the more the ones that we're more excited about. And what better place to start than Nick Kyrgios versus Dominic Team? This really is one of the most exciting third round ties to my recent memory. Anyway, um, there isn't a real head to head record for this one. Um, they've only played once before, which did surprise me, and it was in 2015. So. Yes, that's six years ago now. And Kyrgios retired in the first set. I think it was in, in Nice in France. So not really a lot you can read into these two previous matchups. Um, but yeah, it's going to be a really interesting match. I kind of know what my prediction's going to be. Um, but <laughs> I'll wait to consider your verdict before um before airing mine. Um, but yeah, this this really could be an awesome match. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you're going to enjoy this one tomorrow morning. Yeah, this is um, definitely the tournament, uh, the match of the tournament. I was about to say the tournament of the match there. Uh, the match of the tournament so far. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how team copes with 
Kyrgios, he's a very, uh, you know, he's very good on court team. He's very um, uh, professional, doesn't let his emotions get the better of him. But um, against a player like Kyrgios, uh, Kyrgios tries to rattle players, you know, and Bear did quite well, uh, even though he lost. Um, Bear was kind of laughing along with a lot of it and um, didn't, didn't really let Kyrgios get in his head. But I, I, I do wonder, I don't know why, but I do wonder if team might get a little bit rattled by Kyrgios at, at times. Um, he, we have seen him, I, I personally do think he has a bit of a, a mental problem in some matches, particularly finals uh, for team. And um, I think this match against Kyrgios with the whole crowd against him will be a real mental tester for him. But, um, you know, he, he he is showing brilliant form. He's come through very convincingly in his first two matches. I can't remember who his first round match was against, but the second one against Dominic Kupfer uh, of Germany, albeit, you know, you'd expect him to beat Kupfer uh, quite comfortably. He, he, he did beat him very convincingly and, and secured off to him for that. Um, but I do think Kyrgios is going to be a big banana skin for him. I think this match is going to go quite far. Um, but I think team is just going to get over the line. I think Kyrgios is going to be a little bit fatigued considering he hasn't played for 13 months until a few days ago and he's come through a, a really long match against Umber. And actually, though it was straight sets, uh, it was still quite a, a physical match against Ferreira Silva. So um, I'm going to go dominant team in, in five sets. I was thinking down a similar road. Yeah, I think I'm going to go for Dominic team in four. Um, but I think all four of those sets could be very close. I can see at least two, maybe even three tie breaks being in in um, in that four set match that I'm hypothetically imagining. But yeah, that's what I'm going for team in four. Um, the second one that we wanted to talk about, just actually just to mention um, their, their wins so far in the tournament team, beat uh, Mikhail Kukushkin in the first round. So his third player beginning with K in, in the tournament with their surname. So not sure whether that's ever happened before. I'm not going to look it up. Um, but the next third round tie that we wanted to talk about was Denis Shapovalov versus Felix Auger-Aliassime. Really interesting matchup. Two of the players that we think we might see in the when the changing of the guard moment finally happens, um, when when the top two are eventually derailed in the in the next few years, um, Shapovalov has a three to one positive head to head record against Felix. Um, although I, I, I'd argue that I'd make Felix favourite for this match. Obviously, we've talked about how excellently Shapovalov played against Yannick Sinner. Um, Felix Auger Aliassime has been pretty comfortable in the, in this tournament so far beat James Duckworth in, in his last match, which was um, a player who was on all right form and and obviously a, a home player in, in Australia. And then Cedric Marcel Stebe was quite a routine win in the first round. I feel like the time on court that Shapovalov's had in comparison might make a little bit of difference. Um, although you could argue that with Felix going deep in the Melbourne tournament, losing to Dan Evans last week, that maybe they're kind of on a on an equal footing uh, for me, I don't know, maybe this is just my bias in in uh, following Felix very closely in the last few years, but I am giving a slight edge edge to Felix in this one, although I'm sure it'll be a great match, as you said, with, with Tom, your housemate, uh, enjoying some of Shapovalov's ball striking. For a, for a smaller player, he does hit the ball incredibly hard. Um, it, some of It's not um, not too dissimilar to, to Dominic Team. some of the shots that you see him see him pull off, um, just throwing his whole body in, into the shot. I'm sure this one will be a very entertaining one. Maybe not the showpiece, which is Kyrgios' team, but it's definitely uh, the, the second most exciting third round tie, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm very disappointed to see, actually, um, that Flash Gore is projecting this to start at the same time as Kyrgios' team. Uh, oh, these are the two matches I really want to watch, but it looks like I'm either going to have to have them both on and, and have my attention going all over the place, which uh, I'm finding quite hard at the moment. Um, so it looks like I'm going to just have to watch the one match, um, in which case Team team Kyrgios does win it for me. I, I do have to disagree with you slightly. I make Shapovalov favourite for this one. Um, 
I, I think that head-to-head records uh, convinces me a little bit more about him. They played once at a Grand Slam in the past, um, which was at the US Open in 2019. Shapovalov winning this one uh, quite comfortably, 6-1, 6-1, 6-4, albeit, uh, you know, a year and a half ago now, uh, Felix would have only been 18 or 19, I think 18 possibly at that time. So um, I think maybe there isn't too much to take off of that one. But um, I, I'm just, I haven't seen Felix play at the tournament yet. So maybe I'm just being a little bit biased off of the, the past matches I saw. But I did see Felix against Dan Evans on Sunday. Felix was quite poor. And I did see Shapovalov against Sinner. Uh, the other day, and although Shapovalov was poor at the beginning, he did he did end the match very well. Um, it is a really really tough one to call. I'm gonna go for um, I'm gonna go for Shapovalov in four. Yeah, I see your reasoning. Um, Shapovalov is an excellent player. I think maybe I've spoken about him quite a lot in the last year and saying I think he's got a bit of an inflated ranking uh, due to points coming at the ATP Cup. Um, Obviously lost both his matches there this year but maybe me having him as a a player in my mind that's ranked higher than I believe on merit they should be means I don't fancy him as much in this match Um, so I'm not sure It's, it's definitely a harder one to call I think I'll go to five sets again um and yeah, I'm just going to go with my gut instinct, which is Felix to win it narrowly. Um, but it'll be a very close match, I'm sure. Um, the third one that we'd like to talk about is Karen Hatchinov versus Matteo Berrettini. Two players that have struggled a bit in recent years and especially last year with Berrettini. I think he ended up outside the top 200 in the year-to-date rankings. But he's been impressive. He managed to regather some form in the ATP Cup beat Kevin Anderson in straight sets in the first round, which, of course, ended up with me with an uh, egg on my face, having predicted Kevin Anderson to get to the quarterfinal of the Australian Open. Went on to beat Thomas Macaque in the second round, the young Czechoslovakian player. Uh, that one in four sets, so maybe not as impressive, but Macaque is a interesting up-and-coming up and player. Uh, Kachanov, on the other hand, beat Vukic, the Australian player, and Ricardas Barankis in the second round, so two matches that you'd expect him to get past pretty comfortably. So this match is, is an interesting one. I feel, feel like it'll be a good good chance to really see how far these two players have come and um, yeah, who, maybe even who we can expect more from in the year to come. I think Berrettini's probably done better. He made an US Open semi-final, so on slams overall, he's probably done a little bit more than Hatchinov. They're both a similar age, of course. But Hatchinov... And he's got a Masters title, beating Novak Djokovic in the final. So his his top level of performance is, is definitely one that could compete and is probably, you'd say, slightly better than Matteo Berrettini. Uh, so this is a really interesting one. The head-to-head record is 3-1 to the Italian. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Just so these are two players that have been really inconsistent. So it would be interesting to see which one can kind of hold their nerve and... Uh, yeah, is, is in better shape in 2021. What are your what are your thoughts ahead of this matchup? Yeah, 3-1 to the Italian, but I noticed that win that Hatchinoff has got uh, was actually a Teams 7 exhibition men. Uh, that was in the, uh, the suspended period when there were different exhibition tournaments going on, but whether that matters or, or not I don't know but it's interesting to see that Hatchinoff hasn't actually beaten Berrettini in a, in a competitive match um, which surprises me a little bit I think I make Hatchinoff slight favourite for this one um, purely because of, I think we've seen Berrettini out of form for longer than Hatchinoff Hatchinoff kind of comes and goes in patches I think um, and uh, I, I think straight sets against Ricardis Barankis um, is a good result for Hatchinoff. Uh, bearing in mind he has had uh, sort of hiccups along the way in, in, in Grand Slam tournaments and, and mysterious losses. Um, but, but looking at his recent form, he is looking okay. This year, his only, his only loss, he's played six matches this year, his only loss was to Sinner. That match went on for over three hours, I believe. Um 
that was uh, yet yeah, three hours, eight minutes. That was only a best of three set match at the, the Great Ocean Road Open. Uh, so I think Hatchinoff for me is is certainly looking like he could be back to where we've seen him before. Um, and I, I think generally that the conditions will favour him. Berrettini is a good hardcore player, but uh, I, I think Hatchinoff for me is favourite. But then looking at the, the way the Keys have it. They seem to be fancying Berrettini. That could be to do with that past head-to-head record. But um, I'm going to go going for a five-setter and Hatchinoff in five. Hatchinoff in five, fair play. Um, I'm narrowly going to side with Karen Hatchinoff as well. This this one's so hard to pick. I think I'm mainly basing it off last year's form to which Hatchinoff did not cover himself in glory at all. But because I feel like this is the first run that we've had seen Berrettini on where he's actually justified being a player that's even in the top 50. Um, like if, if the rankings were of their usual um, unforgiving nature where you lose points, etc., he'd be in the Basilashvili category where Berrettini would have, would have fallen away massively. So looking into that, I'm just going to give Hatchinov a slight edge and probably agree with you in going five sets and then the Russian to to progress um the last uh third round tie actually we'll probably go on to talk about Cameron Norrie versus Rafael Nadal since it's just come in but just before that we've got a we've got a matchup which is the first ever meeting between Fabio Fonini and Alex de Menor. obviously Fonini has not been on great form since uh lockdown and coming back in 2020 but he is a player who, of course, has got a Masters title, very experienced player on the tour and has numerous titles to his name. If he can bring his best form, there's no doubt in my mind that he challenges, obviously, the home favourite in Alex Dimonor. However, I have to say that Dimonor should come in as a strong favourite and is certainly looking one of the one of the more exciting younger players on tour this year um obviously already got a title to his name in in Antalya and he's got good memories from from the Australian Open before he got to the US Open quarterfinal uh, in, in 2020 so he will rightfully be strong favorite um you, you threw this one onto the the running order with Fonini taking on ADM what's your thoughts yeah I think it's a, a really good matchup um Dimonor has had a fantastic tournament so far, uh, defeating Tennis Sandgren uh, in straight sets in the first round. Tennis Sandgren is twice a quarter-finalist at the Australian Open. Uh, one of those kind of bizarre stats, but 2018 and last year, uh, Sandgren making the quarter-final of this tournament. Then Dimonor uh, defeating Pablo Cuevas in straight sets today. I, that one potentially not as impressive with Cuevas being much more of a clay court suited player. But, um, you know, two comfortable straight sets victories there, I would say, definitely make him favourite for this match. Um, Vanini was very exciting today at the end of that Caruso match, but I do think Caruso did let it get away from him a a little bit there. And that was all part of the fireworks we saw at the end, Uh, you know, his frustration. Um, And and this surprises me, really. Vanini... has only ever, let me let me just double check this again. I think I saw earlier, Fanini has only ever uh, made one quarter final at a Grand Slam, which kind of surprises me because he's been around a long time. Uh, yeah, one quarter final back in 2011, uh, the French Open. Um, you know, he's played countless Grand Slams and, and he's only ever made the quarterfinals once, but he's also won a a Masters tournament for Nini, not that long ago either. Um, so, yeah, very interesting uh, um, player is for Nini, but I, I am starting to think, I did add this to the running order, thinking this would be a thriller, but I'm, I'm starting to think this is uh, Alex Diminor in straight sets. Yeah, I have to agree. I'm going Alex Diminor in straight sets too. Um, definitely a player that will be looking, he's in that Umber category, looking to break into the top 15 challenge for top 10 this year. And obviously with the title already to his name this year, he's in, he's in fine form and I expect him to to progress in, in quite routine fashion. Fabio Fonini at his age, going for a five-setter against Caruso, I think might take a little bit out of him. So he might not see this match. Um, 
turn into the, the epic encounter that we maybe initially hoped that it would. Um, so, yeah, just this last third round tie, an exciting one. Cameron Norrie, so exciting from a British perspective anyway. Um, beating Dan Evans in the first round, beating Safiulin in four sets in the second round, now playing Rafael Nadal in the third. He's beaten Laszlo Gere and Michael and Mo in straight sets. Um, it could be an interesting one. I think Nadal's got to be favourites to get this one done in the straights, but Norrie on his day, it's a great opportunity. Obviously, you, before the before the tournament, predicted Dan Evans to beat Rafael Nadal, or or you were, you were thinking that Nadal might potentially pull out due to injury by now. Um, but, you know, he's managed to avoid spending lots of time on court. So you'd have to say that, that the Spaniard... Um, should win this one straightforwardly. Um, yeah, I, I don't really give Cam Norrie much of a chance at all, to be honest. Um, I yeah, I put Dan Evans to get to that fourth round more because Nadal was talking about injury ahead of the tournament. Um, whilst I think that could still definitely trouble him, it might not trouble him until the the latter rounds when he he starts playing players who are going to give him a, a bit more of a tougher contest. He's got uh, the winner of. Dimonor Fanini in the next round, providing he gets through against Norrie. But um, yeah, you know, Norrie's a fantastic player, did well to beat Dan Evans the other day, although it would have been a, a fatigued Dan Evans. Um, dropping a set today against Safulin, you know, a player I don't really know much about. I would have hoped that Norrie could have come through that a bit more convincingly. Um, but yeah, I, I, I see this as a, a very comfortable uh, straight sets victory for Rafael Nadal. If Norrie can get a set, then it'll be an enormous success. Um, it'll be, yeah, one of, one of the better achievements of, of his career so far. But yeah, we've got to go for Nadal in three, sadly. That's the, the obvious shout. Um, just to finish off, I believe, we're going to have a little recap on how what we're now dubbing the big four have got on in, in their early rounds. You've got Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, Dominic Team, and Daniil Medvedev. I'm going to kick it off by saying I think Daniil Medvedev is in the best shape out of these four. Um, obviously, it's hard to say as 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 team and Nadal have not been tested, but Novak Djokovic drops a set against Francis Tiafo, who we know is a is a very tricky customer on his day. However, Medvedev beating Vasek Pospisil in straight sets in the first round, a player that we've both talked up leading into this year, was. Maybe a nasty first round draw, but considering he came through it in flying colours, definitely, definitely got him into into the zone quicker rather than just, you know, going through a player very easily. At least Vasek Pospisil is a is a quantity that could have challenged the big Russian. So you've got Djokovic beating Shardy in straights, and then that TFO match in four. You've got Dominic Team beating Kukushkin and Dominic Kolkfone straights, and Nadal versus Jerry and Ummo. So I think Medvedev is in the best shape out of those four. Um, all th- three of them haven't dropped a set. Djokovic is the only one to drop a set, and obviously Keem with team. Sorry, with that horrible third round match against Nick Kyrgios to come. Um, so yeah, I think Medvedev is is looking the stronger. Of course, it's hard to know how much we can read into these early matches, but yeah, what's what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I think sometimes it can be a little bit overrated how much you can read into them. Um, Daniel Medvedev, I watched his match against Cabalas Buena uh, until we started recording today, so I missed the last set. Um, and um, he was broken twice in that match, although he's won it quite convincingly, 6-2, 7-5, uh, He was still broken twice. Uh, he was getting quite frustrated with himself at times, but actually the frustration seemed to help him. Uh, when he was getting frustrated, he was hitting some brilliant serves and getting through it. There seems to be an issue on the um, John Kane Arena court um, with the, the let cord. Kyrgios was complaining a lot about it yesterday uh, with the let cord beeping off when the, the ball hadn't even gone near touching the net. Medvedev complaining about the same problem today. Uh, but, but both of them uh, seem to just be using the frustration to their advantage and and really punishing the other player. I thought Carballas Boehner put out, a, especially in that second set, he put out quite a, a decent 
effort and it was um quite nice actually to see that he was really just kind of enjoying himself uh the Spaniards I don't really think he like, I think he knew that he was gonna lose and I think he just kind of knew he didn't have much of a chance and he was kind of he was actually laughing when Medvedev was getting frustrated and moaning on court I think he was he was kind of amusing himself so I, I think uh the Spaniard did come off the court uh with, with a smile on his face um in terms of who's looking the strongest, I, I, I'd say maybe Dominic Team. I think teams, you know, come through with two very convincing type, uh, with two very convincing scorelines. I think I actually expected Kukuskin to maybe take a set off of him in that first round. I feel like I'm just used to seeing teams struggle in matches where he he shouldn't, and and maybe that's the old Dominic Team. Maybe he's changed now, and and. That definitely could be the case. He's got through against Kukushkin and Kupfer in uh, fantastic uh, style. But then out of the, the four of them, you would say uh, Kyrgios is going to struggle the most. Djokovic playing Taylor Fritz. Uh, in the next round, I saw Fritz. Uh, I saw a bit of his last match against Opelka. Opelka really should have won that and, and completely blew it in the end, to be honest. Uh, Fritz... I don't think will be too much of a, a threat for Djokovic. Um, maybe I'll eat my words after saying that. Um, you've got uh, Nadal's obviously got Norrie. I, I think he'll come through that uh, quite comfortably. And uh, just looking uh, Medvedev next faces. Uh, Krajinovic in the next round, again, a match that I don't really see Medvedev having problems in. So my answer to you would be, I think, team is looking the strongest. But unfortunately for him, he, I think, has the biggest threat of going out in the next round. Okay, so Michael's saying that Dominic team is looking the strongest out of the big four. That concludes this episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. Thank you for listening, as always. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Tennis Fanalyst. And Michael's been putting some early morning shifts on there, getting some good coverage out for you lot. Um, any final words? I'm sure the enthusiasm is running high. Yes, uh, in, enjoying the tennis very much. And I think we're going to have some really exciting matchups down the line with the top, I think all of the top seven or eight seeds, just off the top of my head, I think they're all still in the tournament. So, um yeah, they're just fantastic um, matchups to come. Perfect. Um, we'll be back in your ears at some point over the weekend or early next week. Stay safe, everyone.